Welcome to another episode of the Cold Region Campfire. We have a fun episode. I always say fun episode, and maybe I'm biased, but we do. We have the Possible Maroons. We have uh, Mr. Vincent Genovese, who is a local author, written a couple books, and he is um, basically like an encyclopedia when it comes to, to local uh, knowledge. And he wrote the book with uh, his son, Jason Genovese, who I... Uh, uh, worked with with uh, our George Curry documentary, and I can attest uh, that they are both super talented and uh, well researched. Uh, I think you'll find it interesting to hear uh, how uh, they were able to track down the info and uh, all the stats and all that kind of stuff, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, if you don't know, you could buy his books on Amazon. Uh, he's uh, written five books. Um, the Maroons being his uh, third one, uh, but definitely a very good reads, uh, especially if you are into uh, local uh, history, and I imagine you are if you listen to this podcast. Uh, but before we get to Mr. Uh, Genovese, we have a message from uh, Darren. Uh, I saw Darren at a party this weekend. He hurt his hand, so uh, T's and P's for Darren. He's got screws in and everything, so uh, if you go visit him, don't shake his hand because uh, you might break it again. Um, but Darren J. March is a certified financial planner with Raymond James. He is a Pottsville native and has been advising clients for more than 18 years now in Northeastern PA. So he specializes in retirement planning and offers an independent, unbiased approach to investing. Raymond James does not offer its own investment products. This allows Darren to be able to structure a plan to fit your needs, not the needs of the firm. So if you have a 401k or retirement plan from a former job, or if your advisor just doesn't keep in touch, give them a call for a free, no obligation review, 570-640-8010, darren.march at raymondjames.com. Raymond James Financial Services member FINRA SIPC, investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. And now on to Mr. Genovese. All right, welcome to another episode of the Coal Region Campfire. We are here with a uh, local author, uh, Mr. Vincent Genovese, um, who has written uh, a book on the Pottsville Maroons. Um, this is actually your third book you've written? Uh, well, altogether I've written five. Altogether I've written five. Okay, and they're all local. This was the uh, third one. Okay. And... Um, not that we'll dive into it today, but the 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 previous two uh, was it the Angel of Ashland, right? It was uh, it was Angel a, of Ashland was a uh, doctor up in Ashland who was known as the King of the Abortionists. And that's and that's how long ago that he? Uh, well, he's dead now. He died back in the sixties. Okay. But he practiced for almost fifty years, and uh, had a clinic right on the main street of Ashland, and uh, he. Uh, Supposedly did over a hundred thousand oh illegal my gosh. abortions. Jeez! And then what was the second book? The second book was uh, I found a man from Gerardville. Okay. Who fought with Custer at the Battle of Little Bighorn? Oh wow! And all the history books will tell you that everyone was killed in that battle, but this guy was not. Okay. Was there pretty good proof that he wasn't? I think I had sufficient proof, but the the uh, historians didn't want to buy into it yeah. because it kind of ruins the uh, 
right the aura you know of uh, maybe that's another episode every man then. being killed and people could buy your books on amazon right if, if they yes okay yes so now today is apostle maroons again you know it hit a, a fervored pitch uh years ago um what every time i, I look into the maroons i always want to kind of simplify it so what what was the biggest crime that they did in terms of the nfl that they played notre dame in an unsanctioned game correct right uh you mean what cost them the championship exactly yeah well they had to begin with the the owner of the maroons was named was dr striegel mm-hmm. okay and dr striegel and the commissioner joe carr got along like oil and water okay, okay. uh the commissioner didn't like the Pottsville maroons because they were a small town and all the other teams were Chicago, you know, and Green Bay, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, Philadelphia, and uh, so Cleveland. Um, and he felt that the future, and he was right, of football was big cities. Mm-hmm. You know, that a small town like Pottsville would not be able to sustain, you know, sure. a major league team. So they didn't care for each other, and uh, at one point. Uh, Carr took him, Striegel, to court here in Pottsville, okay, because he stole a player off of a team and signed them away, okay? And uh, the judge shot down the NFL's, uh, you know, appeal. Right. And said that Striegel was was okay in what he did. Now, who could Striegel be compared to in modern day, like as an owner? Well, in terms of hands-on, probably Jerry Jones. Okay. He was that kind of guy, kind of... Right. And in terms of strategy and building a team, probably uh, um, the uh, Patriots coach... Uh, Bill, oh, Belichick. Bill Belichick. Okay. Uh, that's who, you know, who I would compare him to because he was, he was sort of way ahead of his time in mm-hmm. a lot of things. I mean, the... Uh, Remember when the shotgun came out, you know, yeah. not so long ago when the NFL, well, Striegel was doing that back in the 1920s. Oh my gosh! And he hired uh, Dick Roush, who was the coach, right? And he was a he was a bird watcher, right? Was that he after the okay. football? Yeah, he traveled the world watching birds. Uh, he was an All American. Um, what Striegel did is he bought the team in 1924. Okay. There were three businessmen from Pottsville who had had the team up until then mm-hmm. and it was starting to get expensive and they wanted out, okay? So they sold out to Striegel, okay? And in 25, they got their name, the Maroons, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, up until then, they were just Pottsville. And what Striegel did is he... He basically stole and stashed, okay? He literally went around the country picking up all-American college football players, okay, along with some locals. And he built a team that uh, before the 25 season started, everybody in the NFL said they were by far the best team, you know. And, uh, of course, Striegel used to brag all the time they could beat anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's when the commissioner in 25 uh, challenged 
Striegel to, uh, well, if, if you think you could beat everybody, then why don't you join the NFL? You right. Know? So uh, he paid 500 bucks back then, okay, to buy the franchise. And uh, it began the, you know, the season, uh, the 1925 season. Um, what happened in terms of them losing the championship is they they won the championship out in Chicago, mm-hmm. okay? And it was the original ice bowl. It was literally 18 degrees, 35-mile-an-hour winds. Wow. Snow coming off the lake horizontally, okay, and Pottsville. Did they play that at Soldier Stadium? Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Mm-hmm. And they beat Chicago, okay, uh, 21-7, and then were proclaimed by every newspaper in the country, you know, as the the champs, the NFL champs for 1925. Um, but the week later... The Maroons had an exhibition game scheduled with the four horsemen of Notre Dame, okay, and a bunch of other college all-stars. And in order to make more money, because, see, basically, everybody got paid by the gate, how Mm. much, you know, how much they packed into the stadium. And that's why it was crazy down here, you know, where the ballpark was in between Minersville and Pottsville, because uh, they used to pack... Oh, thousands and thousands of people in there. They were they were up on trees and they were. And for the people who don't know, that's where Palermo's that well, shopping. Palermo's center. is right now. Yes, uh, Palermo's is pretty close to the fifty yard line. Uh, so they played this exhibition game, but they played it down in Philly, a in a bigger stadium, so that they could make more money. Mm-hmm. And before the game. A week before, the all-star team was to play either Frankfurt, which was the Philly team, or the Maroons, okay? Depending on who won the game between them two. And since Pottsville Maroons beat the Frankfurt team, they got to play the all-stars. And it was okay with Frankfurt until they weren't in the game. They thought they were going to be the ones. And so then they complained to the commissioner that the Maroons violated, you know, their uh, their uh, uh, bylaws, whatever you want to call it. The bylaws that uh, stated you couldn't play within a certain number of miles mm-hmm. of another franchise, you know. And uh, this was known ahead of time. So the car, the commissioner called up Striegel and told him, don't play that game, you know. And Striegel says, I've made an agreement, you know, with these people. Uh, he says, I can't go back on my word, you know. And he said, I'm telling you, don't play the game. But Striegel took the team down, of course, and they played the four horsemen, and they beat them. Now, how big was the atmosphere with that game? Was that like a Super Bowl at that time? Or yeah, there were th- there were thousands down there. And were they considered an underdog against against Notre Dame? Or? Well, yeah, I guess you could say they were because in the 20s, college football was, okay, was one up on pro football. Mm-hmm. They were considered better, the college ranks, than the pros. So you throw together the famed four horsemen of Notre Dame 
and a bunch of other All-American All-Stars, and I'm sure most people probably felt, you know, that sure. the Maroons weren't going to be able to beat them. But they beat them uh, right near the end of the game on a field goal by uh, a famous player on the Maroons, Charlie Berry. And he was considered, from what I read, he was considered like the best athlete on that team, right? He was the best athlete on the team, probably. He was an All-American. He played professional baseball then after his football days. And then he became a major league umpire. Oh. And uh, umpired a number of World Series games. And uh, he uh, led the league in scoring, you know. Wow. And uh, in receiving and just about, you know, every category. Right. That there was. He was uh, he was the best all-around athlete, although the best man and, and most popular man on the team was a man named Tony Latone. Mm -hmm. Tony Latone was a local from Wilkes-Barre, uh, literally worked in the mines. At 11 years old, his father died. And back then, uh, his father was working in the mines. If your father wasn't working in the mines... They told you to get out of the housing, that you couldn't live there anymore. Hmm. And he lied about his age, okay? And he went into the mines and worked and basically used to push the carts full of coal, you know, out of the mines. Now, when you say the house, was it that the coal miners, they had, like, separate housing uh, for the workers? Housing for the workers, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Much like out in Hectorsville, uh, which you can't sort of tell that now because they've all been remodeled and uh -huh. everything but that whole strip there used to be uh, so so if you were hurt then you were out of the house is that you kind were of? gone if you couldn't work yeah wow yeah and if you got killed uh in the mine which happened pretty frequently they'd load you on a wagon take you over to your wife or your family's house and throw you on the front porch and drive off huh. it was rough back then but anyway latone uh, got huge, okay, by working in the mines. And as soon as he became uh, old enough, he left the mines and joined the Navy, okay? He served his stint in the Navy, and then when he came back, he went to working in the mines again. And then he heard that this Doc Striegel from Pottsville was starting a team, you know, uh, mm -hmm. in the NFL, and he was having tryouts. So Latone came down uh, to work out for them. And the word was that Striegel watched him for about 10 minutes and said, there's my fullback right there, you know, starting fullback. And he became the starting fullback. And uh, there's a lot of people who have tried to get the Hall of Fame to uh, put him in because... Uh, you know, everybody that ever played against him on all the teams said he was the toughest SOB they ever played against, wow. you know. Now, is that is that why you think everyone's so invested in the Maroons around here is because they had a lot of local guys? I mean, like, you know, you watch pro sports today. Most of the guys aren't from the town. So is that mm -hmm. kind of what the appeal was with the Maroons? Well, it was a combination of there were a lot of All-Americans on the team. Mm -hmm. uh, Striegel spent <laughs> an enormous amount of money for that time to build his team, okay? Which is why he later on went broke, but that's another story. Um, but there were local people. There was Tony Latone, who was literally a coal miner, you know, from mm -hmm. Wilkes-Barre. Uh, 
There was a guy named Frankie Racis, who was literally a coal miner from up in Shenandoah, uh, who became an all-pro guard. He came hmm. down and tried out for the team and, and of course, made it. And um, there was a guy from Pottsville called Fungi Lebengood. He was a punter, right? Yeah, he was the punter. Um, a funny story, he punted one once and it went in the stands and hit a young lady and knocked her out, you know, and he went into the stands to see how she was and uh, she eventually became his wife. Oh, really? <laughs> but, um, and then there was a, another uh, Shenandoah guy, local man, Barney Wentz, okay? Okay. And uh, so there was a, and they were all starters. There was a good four out of the 11, you know, that were local. And Latone was immensely popular, not only because he was so good, but he was half Lithuanian and he was half Italian. Mm. And, of course, there's a lot of sure, yeah. Lithuanians and Italians yeah. in Schuylkill County, so he was like everybody's idol, you know. Um, but uh, the team was truly superior, you know, to any other team in the NFL at the time. I mean, they beat the Packers, they beat Cleveland, they beat Chicago, they beat Philadelphia, they beat Providence. Uh, they had two losses along the way, but... Uh, you know, they were more, right? you know, they weren't in the game. It's not that they were outmatched by any means. Now, what's that story with the Red Grange? He said uh, they tackled him one game. Red Grange played his last college game in 1924 and immediately joined the Bears, okay? He was actually signed, okay, by uh, the Bears before he Got out of college. Right. It was tampering, but uh, they looked the other way. Sure, yeah, I imagine those times were a little different. And he started to play for the – he was considered the best college running back, okay, in the nation. And I won't go into his stats now, but his stats are staggering, mm -hmm. okay. Um, and uh, he was just a terrific ball player, well-known, of course, of course, across the country. So he joins the Bears, okay, and he's playing with the Bears. And uh, they had a game down at the Minasville Park with the Maroons. Not in 25, though, okay? This wasn't in 1925, but uh, it was a year or two later. And the Pottsville Maroon fans kicked in an extra... I forget how much. I think it was $500, okay? So that Red Grange would play the whole game, or at least most of it, because a lot of times he'd he was come in out, attraction, yeah. he'd, he'd score three, four touchdowns, you right. know, and they'd pull him out so he didn't get hurt. Yeah. You know? But mine as well was saying, we want to see this guy, and we want to see him play. So he, he agreed. And uh, the first series when Chicago got the ball, you know, they all trot out there, and Red Grange trots out. And uh, the first give was to Red Grange, and he ran into two uh, Maroons. I think it was uh, Racist and Tony Latone, two local boys. And they hit him so hard, they knocked him out, basically. And they had to carry him off the field, okay? So... He uh, kind of shook the cobwebs out of his head, you know, and because of the agreement, you know, uh, 
the next series when uh, Chicago had the ball, he went back out. The first give was the red. Red ran up the middle. Bonk. <laughs> he got knocked out again the second time. So they carried him off the field. And the word was when he finally got his senses back, he stood up and said to the stands, you can stick to $500. He says, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know. And he walked off the field and left. You know. Now, you know, you tell these great stories. In the process of writing this book, where, did you, you look up old newspaper articles? You went to local libraries? What was the process like well, to kind of gather these the stories? The process of research was very interesting but very hard because a lot had been written about the Maroons, okay, back then and since. And uh, the newspaper back then was called the Pottsville Miner's Journal, I okay. believe, okay? And John O'Harrell, you know, famous sure. author, uh, was a cub reporter for them, along with uh, a man named Waller Farquhar. But anyway, uh, they covered all the games, and then, of course, they uh, gave details, you know, in the newspaper. And when the newspaper folded, and then eventually the Maroons folded, they gave the copies of the newspaper to the Historical Society in Pottsville. And one day somebody went in to look them over for something, and they weren't there. Hmm. Somebody stole them. Oh, jeez. They're gone. They were never found. Uh, personally, I think it was an inside job. <laughs> jeez. But the ergo, there was no record, okay, of... Uh, when they were playing, you know, uh, Green Bay Packers, it was second down and ten to right. go, and they gave to Latone, you know, and yeah. they got the first down, and so on, all, all the stats and so on. And uh, even when the gentleman from ESPN wrote his book, uh, his book lacks a lot of the stats of specific games sure. because they were not available, okay? Mm -hmm. But one day... I had done the research for the man that fought with Custer, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, a lot of it up in Tamaqua, okay? Because Tamaqua had their own newspaper at the time. Right. And they go way back into the 1800s, you know? Huh. Uh, and one day, I was thinking to myself, I just wonder, Right. You know, if there's anything on the Maroons up there. So I went up, and the lady said, oh, well, we got the newspapers, you know, from 1925. And it was all on microfiche, so I almost went blind. Wow, God. Okay, trying to pick it out. But I did pick it out, most of the games. And what they did is the, the Pottsville paper shared, okay, the articles with the Tamaqua paper and okay. allowed them to publish it, okay? Oh, okay. So uh, I had, in a sense, recovered, you know, those lost right. newspapers, and that's where I got the details from, you know, a lot of the games from uh, from the Tamaqua newspaper. Huh. But uh, my approach was more of a historical approach. Sure. Um, the gentleman, Dave... Uh, uh, Fleming. Fleming from ESPN. His was written with the idea of them making a movie. Sure. Okay. So he had a little, took a little, uh, 
you know, extra. Sure. Literary, uh, as they say. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, it still was a good book. I read it. Yeah, I, it was I, very I'm good. not condemning them. Yeah. Uh, but it was written from a different perspective. And the thing that that makes the maroon so interesting and my book and and maybe even his, except he didn't go into it as much, is the history of the Roaring Twenties. Uh-huh. I mean, the Roaring Twenties was, uh, it's the most popular decade in American history. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves to read about it. I mean, uh, Prohibition, right? And the bathtub gin, you know, yeah, and right. the illegal booze, um, uh, all of the different stuff that used to go on. Um, Lindbergh, you know, yeah. crossing the Atlantic. Uh, some lady was the first uh, lady to swim the English Channel. Oh, right. Uh, um, some lady was the first governor, woman governor in the United States down in Texas. All this stuff was going on, but it was the golden age of sports, okay? Mm-hmm. Because all the colleges were building 70, 75,000, you know, right. uh, seat stadiums. Uh, the NFL was starting to grow a little bit. Uh, uh, boxing was huge. Horse racing was huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Dempsey, uh, Jack Dempsey, um, I'm trying to think of who he fought in uh, one of the cities. They put 500 people to work to build a stadium that would hold. 90,000 people, okay? Hmm. And uh, the gate broke the record. And uh, <clears throat> the guy Dempsey was fighting had actually killed men in the ring, okay? And uh, everybody expected, you know, in the front rows to be splattered right. with the blood from Dempsey. And the bell rang, and Dempsey came out like a wild man. And before. The first round was over. He got knocked down three times. Huh. And he had a broken jaw, six teeth knocked out. His both eyes were closed, okay, and he was bleeding profusely. His face looked like a rotten tomato, you know, and uh, it was it was a real upset, you know. But that's how big sports got. There. Right. You know, there were golf courses were being... Made right. and tennis courts and all these things that uh, people were into sports really big time in the 20s. Now, were the Maroons games on the radio or anything like that? Was there? Um, no, they weren't. Okay. They weren't. Now, what I, I've always heard that uh, today uh, the Maroons became the, the Redskins. Is that true, the Washington Redskins? Uh, no, that's a fallacy. Okay. And, and basically I got that from Dr. Gutelunas who did a lot of the research on the Maroons. Uh-huh. Uh, what happened is in in uh, n- 1928, Doc Striegel uh, subletted the team out, okay, to a couple players. And they took it up to Boston, okay? And they played up there in 28 and 29, mm-hmm. okay? And in 29, the crash came you know, and Doc Striegel lost everything he had in the stock market, and he was heavily in debt from the football team, okay? Uh-huh. Um, so the team basically, the franchise, I mean, ceased to exist, okay? And in 1930, 
a man bought a new franchise, okay, up in Boston. And he was up there for two years with it. And he couldn't make any money because people weren't coming, right. you know, to the stadium. So he dropped it, okay? And then a year after that, I can't think of the gentleman's name right now that uh, originally started the Redskins, but he he bought the franchise in Boston, but moved it to Washington because he knew he couldn't make any money there. Uh-huh. And uh, basically, that's why everybody thinks the Maroons are the present-day Redskins. Gotcha. But uh, after 29, the Maroons ceased to exist. So that was the end of their That their was history. the end of their franchise. They were from 25 to 29. They they played four years in the NFL and then that was it. Now, uh, you know, to finish up here, in your, you know, after doing all the research, do you think they should be uh, reinstated as a 1925 champions? I definitely do because A, they were the best team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the championship game Okay, and Chicago was so upset about it, okay, that the owner went and colluded with the commissioner, okay, and the commissioner canceled, uh, Maroons had two more games, okay, that they were going to play, and he canceled them, the commissioner on them, and he left Chicago play two more games, Mm. okay, so that they would get ahead of them in the standings. And the two games uh, that Chicago played, literally, they drove the streets and picked up some high school football players, okay, so they would have enough. The gates were locked. There were no fans. Get out. They shortened the quarters. It was a sham, you know. And that's proven they did that. Yeah, yeah. That's well known. It's proven. Uh, And uh, they finally... You know, uh, last straw then, you know, when Carr was looking for a way to strip them was when they played Notre Dame and uh, in Philly, and Philly complained, and then he uh, upheld. At halftime, they got a uh, telegram, okay, in the Pottsville locker room from the commissioner. It says, we strip you of the championship, and we kick you out of the NFL. Goodbye, you know. And uh, Striegel had to read the telegram to his team, you know, who was losing at halftime. Right. And say, well, there's nothing left to do but to go out and win this darn ball game, you know, which they did. And then they uh, they began the fight, you know, to get that championship back. But they were never successful. Now, do you think if, if Striegel, it seems like even back then, people kind of looked down, around, down their noses, you know, at the coal region area. Yeah. Just kind of like, you know, hicksters. And you think if Striegel was a little more politically savvy, he could have, or was he a little abrasive that it made it hard to kind of? I think he was both. He was a he was very cocky mm-hmm. and, and abrasive. He had been the team doctor for two years before he bought the team, uh-huh. and uh, he knew football very well. He went out and hired, you know, the best people right. that money could buy. Uh, but he was kind of. <laughs> Uh, this may draw some criticism, but he was kind of like Trump. Mm-hmm. He didn't know when to keep his mouth shut, mm-hmm. you know. And he was very, uh, very cocky, uh, very critical. 
at one point, the uh, Maroons were playing a team that was once owned by Carr, okay, at, at Pottsville. And he literally came to the game to see if Pottsville was as good as everybody was saying. And they killed the team, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, it must have choked them to have to say afterwards. He's quoted as saying, I have to admit, this is the best football team I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and Red Grange says that, too. He says, that hands down, they Red were the best. Red Grange said that about, and about Tony Latone. Uh-huh. He uh, was at a banquet once up in Williamsport, and they asked him, who was the toughest man you ever played against? And he said, without question, it was Tony Latone. And what happened to Tony Latone after playing? Was he, did he stay local? He stayed local for a little while, and then... Uh, he ended up down in Atlantic City working as a lifeguard, okay, on the beach. Huh. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what happened to him after that. Right. You know, was, uh, a lot of the people, unfortunately, by the time I was doing research, was, had passed away. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't want to get hearsay stuff. You sure. Know? I wanted to make sure what I had was legit. The only one that was alive really was... Uh, Frankie Racist from Shenandoah. Oh, okay. okay. But I never got a chance to interview him, but Dr. Goodlunas did. Uh-huh. And uh, he said after the uh, playing days, he opened the bar with his brother up in Shenandoah, and it went under. So he went down to Philadelphia to a real rough section and to a bar down there where the guy hired him as a bartender because he knew... If there was any trouble in the <laughs> bar, Frankie, you know, right. could handle it, you know. And he worked down there until uh, he sort of couldn't anymore. And he came back to Shenandoah. And his last job, uh, a touch of irony here, was the Shenandoah School District hired him, okay, to be the groundskeeper for the football field. Huh. So <laughs> he went from being an all-pro, right. you know, and on a world championship team to cutting the grass up at uh, Shenandoah's field. Huh, I like that. But he was a good football player, you know, and a very humble man, you know. Do you think we'll ever get it back? No. And I say in my book why. uh, The whole basis for Carr stripping Pottsville of the title okay would rest with the league's um charter right okay uh and in there it would have said what punishment for what offense and it also would have given a radius of where you could play and so on uh, all all the details that would have justified, you know, Carr's decision. And you would say, well, okay, let's look at the charter, okay? Well, I call up Canton and said I wanted to come out and do some research. And they said, oh, great, you know, come out. You know, we'll make everything available to you. And I said, well, before I come out, I want to make sure, you know, that I'm going to find what, what I'm looking for, I said, uh, but I didn't want to give the 25 
controversy away. Yeah. So I said, I want to look at the development of the charter, you know, from the first year in 1920 up until about maybe 1925 or 26, you know, and see how how it progressed along with pro football, you know, the wording and yeah. the, who you could draft and who you couldn't and all this other stuff. And uh, the guy, when, the, the minute I said 1925, he said, oh, hold on a minute, sir, will you? Okay. And I was quiet on the end of the line for a good, I'll bet you I was on for 10 minutes maybe, <laughs> okay. And the guy came back and he said, uh, I regret to tell you that uh, 1925 charter, okay, uh, is not available to you. And I says, what do you mean? He says, uh, we don't have it. We can't find it, you know. Hmm. And, uh, the plot thickens. Yeah, the, the light bulb went on right then and there. I knew there was, uh, unless I went out there in the middle of the night, you yeah. know, dressed in black <laughs> and left myself down from the ceiling and went through the records, I wasn't going to find it. Uh, so nobody knows, you know, and to me the whole basis of possible having a chance to win it back would be to be able to produce the charter, mm -hmm. you know, and prove, you know, that they were unfairly treated. Hmm. And that's simply not going to happen. And as you and probably most people know that are familiar with the Maroons, they've tried, I think, three times with yeah. the NFL uh, to petition them to get that, uh, that the PA uh, teams always vote yes. The the owners they always in. shoot them down. They always yeah. say no. Yeah. No. Well, thank you so much. This was definitely uh, very informative. Uh, I'm sure people are going to like this. And uh, again, if you have any of the books, uh, Doctor uh, uh, Vincent Genovese on Amazon. Thank you. Uh, one other thing. Yeah. Uh, I co-wrote this book. Okay. Okay. Along with my son, right, Jason, Jason Genovese. Jason wrote uh, two chapters in there, and I was blown away by what he wrote because had I written it myself, uh, almost word for word, it would have been the same thing. But I gave him no instructions. I just told him what areas I wanted him to cover. You and know? I could attest to Jason's uh, skills. We did the uh, documentary together, too, on George Curry. So. Right. And uh, so I just want to make sure that uh, you know, oh, people absolutely. realize he, uh, he contributed very, very uh, importantly to the book. And it was, a, it was kind of a pleasure, you know, to, oh, absolutely. That's to have a father-son yeah. type deal and do book signings together and that sort of thing. But All right. Thank you very much. For thank that. you. I'm sure you guys enjoyed that. Uh, I know that there was definitely... Uh, a couple of very interesting tidbits there that I was not aware of, and I consider myself pretty well-versed on the Maroons. Um, but again, if you're looking for a good book, a nice historical book on the Maroons, or any uh, local books, uh, Dr. Genovese, uh, I think he's a doctor. I know his son is a doctor, but we'll call him doctor regardless. Uh, Amazon.com, you guys know that website. And uh, you could order some local books. And that's it. Um, again, keep the suggestions coming. People are uh, sending a lot of good uh, topics, and I've been trying to book them. So hopefully uh, we keep it going. And uh, that's it. So see you guys next week. Thank you.